0: At a time when many of life's little luxuries have been taken away or at least put on hold, our sponsor Ole is here to ensure we can all still indulge in some of the finer things in life. I am in love with their retinol collection. I have tried all the creams, lads, and I mean all of them. And this makes my skin feel incredible. Really glowy, really strong, really bright, which in winter is a tricksy old thing. With Ole, I can face anything. Seriously, anything. And there's a lot going on. Let's be honest. Losing myself in a good book. The kind you might not share on Instagram, but you absolutely love after dark, if you know what I mean. Crying to a good movie. Hearing my favourite song on the radio. It's Barbie Girl, FYI. There are a million things that I'm thankful for today, but what is my guest thankful for?
1: I've learned so much through my recovery and through subsequent recoveries that I'm grateful for what I learned, maybe not for the experience of depression itself, but for the recovery experience, for the experience of finding out about myself.
0: Welcome to Thanks a Million. I'm Angela Scanlan, and this is the show that takes a sneaky look at my guest's gratitude list to find out the things that have shaped their lives. Today's guest is a goodie. He is the best-selling author and mental health campaigner who has written over 25 books, sold over 100 million books and been translated into 40 languages. His memoir, Reasons to Stay Alive, was a number one bestseller, staying in the British top 10 for 46 weeks. He's an absolute powerhouse on social media. I regularly share his bite-sized insights with my gang on there and they absolutely love them. Before we hear from Matt I'm going to go to a couple of your Thanks a Million Trios. Get in touch at Angela Scanlon if you want to share these using the hashtag Thanks a Million Trio. This one's from Graeme. Seasons for showing us that the world is forever in a state of change. Geography I'm grateful for the part of the world I'm fortunate enough to have roots in and family for teaching me what the most important thing in the world is. Mama skates. My family. The school still opening, and the amazing work being done by all of the different frontline staff here. Here, blue skies, sunshine, and the ability to run, no matter how slow I am. That one is from Moon Girl, and Cece. Sometimes it's the simple ones. Grateful for my partner and my cat. Do get in touch at Angela Scanlan. I would love to hear more. In today's conversation, we discuss Matt's regrets, his somewhat unwelcome label as Mr. Depression, and his treadmill. Here he is. The Midnight Library. Was it a very different book to write for you? Because obviously a lot of people will know you from uh, Reasons to Stay Alive and Notes on a Nervous Planet, which are different I guess and more autobiographical or more observational maybe and this is is fiction although there's definitely a flavour of your your other work there's like a there's a lot of philosophy in there isn't there?
1: I think it is very different in some ways but and to me to be honest when I wrote Reasons to Stay Alive that felt like the different book for me because I'd written fiction before that and Reasons to Stay Alive was always like Um, well, it was like something I was kind of reluctant to write for ages and I was kind of, um, it was the first time I ever sort of publicly came out and talked about mental health, my own experience of mental health ever. So it was a book I had to be sort of prompted to write. It wasn't a book that I massively felt I I, I should write or that I could write. And, you know, I didn't see myself as a non-fiction person. I was a sort of like, I always think of myself as a fiction writer Reasons to Stay Alive when that came out became my biggest book but you know for me I don't know I I feel more at home with making stuff up I feel more at home with lying basically. <laughs> and,
0: okay. So, wait. More, more at
1: home or less exposed? Bit of both, but in a weird way with fiction, especially when you're writing about mental health and fiction. Something you've got autobiographical experience of. In my case, um, it was uh, it was freeing to to. You can almost be more truthful. You can, you know, for fiction to work, even though it is called fiction, it has to be truthful it doesn't have to be things that have happened but emotionally it has to be truthful for it to work so even if you're writing about aliens or vampires or zombies or whatever has to feel true so yeah so yeah and um you know so there has to be some sort of reality in the non-reality so um i don't know midnight library i felt was um probably I invested most out of anything I've written in that book. There are books that sort of kind of write themselves. There are other books that are sort of an uphill slog. This was a kind of mixture. It felt like I had to write it. I knew, knew it all in my head. But um, yeah, it was kind of like writing about 14 different novels because she has so yeah. many different lives. So even though... It's fast and hopefully easy reading. I still had to do quite a bit of research, like the Arctic Circle stuff.
0: Well, there's quite a lot of detail in there.
1: Yeah, and I had to sort of bullshit all the science stuff, so it looks like I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Well, bullshit it. Exactly. I think there's an art in not knowing stuff in a way where you sound... Like you do know stuff.
0: Deliver oh, it with conviction. Uh, the exactly. less you know, the more you know. Like, and Indeed. the inverse of that is true. I think the more you know, the less you know. Totally, yeah. Angela. So, okay, so that feels feels quite freeing. And I mean, with reasons to stay alive, you say that is not a, like, it wasn't a natural book to you. And I'm sure you're kind of not. Maybe you're not sick of talking about it, but it is the thing that you know. It's it's 21 years now, almost coming up to that moment. In IB that which, you know, becomes the, I guess, the, the catalyst for everything that came after that, but also the, the you know, the beginning of, of the life that we certainly saw in Reasons to Stay Alive.
1: Yeah, no, it was weird. I mean, for years after, even though I'm, what I find weird about it all is I'm sort of seen as like, inverted commas, yeah. Mr. Depression or, you know, like I, I talk about mental health all the time and I kind of do now, like on Instagram and Twitter and things. But for a decade after um, I had my full-blown breakdown, Mm. I didn't tell anyone. You know, it was a total secret beyond my uh, partner and beyond my parents. It was Mm. no one knew. I, I lost loads of friends, not because they were stigmatizing me, but because, you know, for many years I was agoraphobic and had major deep kind of social anxiety so I would cancel things without explaining why I was cancelling things I'd be the ultimate flaky person just because I had this mental health stuff that I wasn't telling people so I was unreliable and I had all kinds of crap going on and I was very secretive about it so to be suddenly so like exposed I feel like a panicky little insect under a rock sometimes that's the rocks lifted off and i'm just sort of going around and i suppose like with like the, the new novel midnight library it, it was perfect for me because i could i could talk about what people sort of know me for but do it and especially by making the character female i could do it in a way which clearly yeah. wasn't me uh, I, so i could be truthful but also no one's going to think i am nora because there's that, a distance you know, so, there yeah
0: you mentioned the breakdown and I mean, even, even that term, and I feel like I'm, I'm pretty au fait with mental health and I've certainly had my own um, struggles, but that term breakdown, I mean, what did, what did that look like for you? Because I think a lot of people will, will know somebody who's had a breakdown and it obviously comes in many different shapes and forms. And I don't, I think there's probably a lot of people who may have had an, Internal crisis and not necessarily know what was that a breakdown? At what point does it do I label it a breakdown? Is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Does it need medical intervention? When do I put my hand up and say, you know, help?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, that. You know, people often talk about depression and panic as, as, as things that build slowly. For me, it was yeah. like hitting a brick wall. The thing with me is, I became ill in Spain yeah. in a beefer, So people think, oh, you were on loads of drugs. Coming
0: down. Yeah,
1: wild time. You must have been off your head. And it's like, I'm not going to lie. I've taken drugs in my life. And I had, you know, haven't since then, but I, I had yeah. uh, up until that point, I wasn't a healthy living person. I took a lot of alcohol. But the weird thing is, when I became ill, we'd lived um, through summers and three summers in Spain, and we were actually having boring kind of normal jobs with nine to five kind of jobs. And I'd been running that morning. I became ill in the morning. I hadn't smoked a cigarette. I hadn't drank any alcohol. I, you know, I was to- relatively, for me at that point in my life, I was relatively healthy okay. physically. And I, I, um, it felt like hitting a brick wall. It felt like Well, it was a panic attack, but I didn't know what a panic attack was, so I thought this was beyond a panic attack, because I thought a panic attack was this sort of kind of comical thing that you have for, like, uh, ten minutes, and you walk out breathing through a brown paper bag. Yeah, and then it goes. And this didn't go, and I was, was like, spiralling in the snowball, and I had a week of utter hell and um, torment and... I was suicidal quite quickly. Well, I was suicidal after I started taking diazepam, not because the diazepam was making me suicidal, but because I'd wanted something to help me and nothing was helping me. And I felt trapped. And I had no idea how I'd got into this state. So therefore, I had no idea if or how I could get out of this state. So it was a total claustrophobia of yourself. You know, you can, you can, you can be looking at the most gorgeous Mediterranean view, but if you're... In yourself, and yourself is on fire. It's like you you feel totally trapped, and I I felt totally trapped. It wasn't like I had a death wish. It's just that I had no idea how I, how I could live, you know. And breakdown, by the way, is yeah. not a medical term. You don't have you don't. It it's just a term I use and people use. I think because it it kind of sums up um, what you feel. You I felt like I was a working, normal, functional human being, like a, a sort of functioning mechanism and then suddenly I wasn't you know everything was broken my heart wouldn't beat. you know it was it was sort of like stuttering and my my brain so much of it was physical as well Uh, so much adrenaline and I think in my case it was a uh, it was caused now I feel like by a variety of things I think even though it felt like that brick wall it possibly wasn't a brick wall and possibly from my teen years onwards I had all kinds of unaddressed um mental health Issues I'd sort of been escaping by going to a beefer or going for wild nights out, and I had thought I was like this happy party person, and I clearly wasn't able to sit still in my own mind. And I'd had a winter in London that winter before, where I did a load of dead end jobs I hated doing, and I was two weeks from going back there. So I think the whole prospect of adulthood and growing up. I also had zero confidence, Angela. I had, I, um, there'd been a couple of good jobs that I'd got interviews for, and, uh, like, like an advertising agency. I can remember being in Soho Square and standing outside this advertising agency. And I, I literally, I had my suit on and everything. I literally couldn't walk into, through the doors. This was before I became ill. I, and so I had all kinds of panic and anxiety issues that I just wasn't mm. acknowledging. And so it was, it was yeah. a build-up of all kinds yeah. of stuff.
0: You have said that you emerged from from that breakdown better equipped to appreciate life. Is that a, a conscious practice or is that something that now having having come through that darkness, you're like, phew, this is better than that?
1: Bit of both. I mean, I, I think to be honest, uh I actually didn't know who I don't even know who I was before the age of twenty-four. I I feel like I'm I'm looking back on a different person and I've got a lot of sympathy for that person. I'm very glad that person managed to hold on and everything. But I feel like without breaking down completely, I would not have I would have not become who I am now, or become myself in any any sense or gained any confidence or self-esteem. I really, I still feel like the biggest achievement I've done in my life was um, staying alive and going, getting through that. And I genuinely believed I would be dead at the age of 25. And I genuinely believed I had no future. And that if by some miracle I did stay alive, um, everything would be a disaster. And, and I would never get over depression. And the fact, you know, and I wouldn't say I'm over it, like with capital O, Mm -hmm. I could still have it at any point, but I have genuinely known more happiness in my life this side of the line than I ever did before. And I feel like without, I wouldn't want to relive that, but I wouldn't undo it either. And I I feel very um, grateful in a way and accepting. And I feel like that was part of my recovery because the thing that kept me ill for ages was like, Not being able to cope with myself as a person with depression or a person with panic disorder or OCD or anything. So I I hated that and I had so much self stigma about it and just accepting it as an experience, a horrendous experience, but accepting it was great. And I can actually appreciate things that I would have once thought were so boring, you know. I can just be at a neutral level. You know, when I was a young man, I had to have the most intense experiences, I had to have the spiciest food, read the edgiest novels or most violent films. Everything was like force 10, everything. And I'm just sort of, I'm just grateful for boredom. I'm grateful for neutrality. I'm grateful, you know, even in 2020, even in this weird, weird, weird damn year, I have felt, um, you know, still grateful. It's it's still a million times better for me this year than having a, a, a breakdown or anything like that. So... Yeah, it's gratitude in in normal um, frustrations and stresses. It's not like everything's rainbows and unicorns, it's just that, you know, I can remember for three years wanting to be stressed in a normal way, wanting to have normal worries. You know, when my mum was Mm -hmm. flustering about car keys or she's a teacher, so she had like an Ofsted inspection or something. I, I was jealous of, of, of normal stresses because the one I had was, like, my whole head was just on fire. So, so it kind of makes you a bit more Buddhist about everything and appreciative of, you know, how despair connects to joy and how it's a totality and all of that. I was a bit rambling, but, you know, yeah, genuinely. I am <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm.
0: The focus yeah. on, the, on the moment, I suppose, as well the gift that is the little everyday things.
1: Also, also, I think, and it's not just a mental health related issue. I think, I think if you've had a sort of close encounter with your own mortality at a young age, it kind of helps you age it kind of helps you not be scared of getting older you know I'm 45 mm. 45 now and I'm really pleased about being 45 because I'm technically middle-aged and I definitely did not think I would I would reach that point in life yeah and I I feel happier and healthier and uh, better in every sense than I did when I was 24 years old so mm-hmm. um yeah it does help with with those things I, I you know I'm still a bit of a hypochondriac and um I still worry uh, pointlessly about stuff, but I'm, I'm kind of accepting of my flaws a little bit more.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, that idea of uh, facing your own mortality young. I also think if you have lost somebody, whether that's uh, a sibling or a parent at a young age, it kind of, you know, obviously that's a, a horrendous thing to go through at a time, but there's a pers- perspective that comes with like properly understanding the fragility of life that allows you to go, fuck it. I d- I'm not sitting here worrying about what somebody thinks about me, what somebody, you know, whether I should do this, whether I shouldn't do this, whether I need permission to do this. There's a kind of, I could be gone tomorrow.
1: Yeah, no, totally. And I... Um, freedom in that. Yeah, I used to be so bothered what people thought of me. I used to be so bothered about other people's approval. I used to be so bothered about what my parents wanted my life to be. I was so bothered about what friends thought of me. And I kind of lost all that. I lost all that. And, uh, you know, it's very freeing. So I think in some ways, I I was very old f- for being in my 20s. You know, By the time I came out, about 26, 27, still technically young, I I, I feel like, I, I felt like I lived about 20 years through those breakdown years so i i, I yeah. came out of it um yeah accepting of all kinds of stuff and yeah just just for really an awareness that you you only have one life it's the kind of first draft so you not everything has to be perfect and yet we we do have this limited amount of time and if you want to do something do something and i, and I feel like you know i i The reason I ended up getting published as a writer... ...which had been my sort of dream to do... ...which I'd have never pursued before becoming ill... ...was because I thought... ...well, I've just done something super impossible... ...which was stay alive and get over depression. So, you know, getting a book published next to that is like easy peasy. I can just sort of like do that... ...no worries at all. And um, yeah, and I got a million rejections... ...and I did not care. I did not care. I just kept on going. I wouldn't be like that now... ...but at 26 when I just was coming out of depression... I, didn't, I, I was almost welcoming the rejection. I was, like, I was like a tank. I was just like, well, this is just part of the process to not getting rejected is getting rejected. So, okay. so I kind of, I didn't care. I didn't see any of it as failure. I saw it all as a learning curve. And I, that was a t- radical shift from how I'd been as this nervous person who couldn't go into an interview. And so it was almost like annoyingly the other way. And I think I'm somewhere back in the middle again. But after, after sort of getting over depression, I had this sort of arrogant, Swagger, like just, uh, yeah.
0: yeah. But like a momentum. a momentum right? Here we go. Yes, indeed. It's very powerful. Very, po- and also a little bit like you know you're writing about the Antarctic and and sciencey things. Um, there is a kind of, uh, there's a a power in not knowing the system in going I'm gonna write to this person who's really (laughs) high up and not knowing the hierarchy the way things are done and just like throwing caution to the wind yes
1: because someone 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 said if you like want to be a writer you should get some um, work experience on your like local newspaper or something and I was like Nah, I'm just g- <laughs> oh, yeah. going straight to the I'm, top. I don't have time for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I uh, every day I could die. I'm just going to do it.
0: Yeah. I want a, book, not a column. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I love that. What are you thankful for today?
1: Ah, I'm. What am I specifically thankful for today? I am thankful for. Um, I am thankful for lots of things. I am thankful, but uh, I've got a partner to prepare. My wife Andrea is having a birthday and she's amazing at birthdays. And she, she, she gave me the most incredible lockdown birthday on July the 3rd, which kind of puts a lot of pressure on me. But I'm very grateful she did because now I've got forward momentum about October the 1st, which is her birthday. So I, for, one, okay. for once in my life, I, I, I'm trying to be um, a good birthday person and actually prepare in advance a, a, a birthday because I'm no, I'm normally the crap one at birthdays. Okay. But I, I'm grateful that I've got this forward momentum because... 2020 is a hard. I feel like you need points in the calendar to actually um, make life interesting and exciting in in 2020 a little bit to have that forward momentum. So I'm grateful that um, yeah. I have a wife and she has a birthday, and that's coming up. <laughs> so that'll do. <laughs> so.
0: Also, you mentioned on on Twitter um, that you one of your favorite things at the moment is is picking blackberries. Yeah, well, which c- I thought
1: oh, yeah. it's
0: like, you know, joy. I mean, they're staying a lot. They're an absolute <sighs> nightmare to get out a white T-shirt. But actually that yeah. kind of... Uh, is it the like time spent doing it? Is it the actual fruit eating, the f- fruits of your labor? Yes,
1: I should go back and say blackberries are the thing I'm grateful for.
0: Black- <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm, like forcing no. you to. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nature, nature, generally, because I, I, I'm not a nature person. My parents used to go on these long rambles in the countryside, and I'd be like, you know, Kevin and Perry at the back, going, oh Mum. <laughs> best of <laughs> ever. <laughs> <laughs> this is so boring word anyone and I'm really into it. I'm I'm that boring dad now who like let's okay. go on a long ramble. Let's go on a pub walk without the pub. You know, like oh, ultimate nice. pointlessness, you know. I used to think and um, yeah, blackberries. So we've been doing we're, we're fortunate to live in Sussex. So we go to the Sussex Downs and we walk around and there's a lot of blackberries around at this time of year. And so we've been doing a bit of scrumping for blackberries and yeah, it's been it's been good nice. to connect with nature and yeah, there's something about just uh, picking food from its source and putting it in your mouth without any of that sort of accardo bullshit. You know, you're just like there. You're a human yeah. living creature, really? and you're getting the... Yeah, so I yeah. like that. I think that's good for us. I think
0: a bit like animalistic, almost. Yeah,
1: well, I but for- <laughs> not <off> flesh. No, <laughs> but I think I think we. For- I think this is our problem, Angela, as as a species. I think we forget that we're we are nature and we've got a million things in our modern life including possibly podcasts and possibly novels which make us forget that we are actually living animal beings and it's quite nice occasionally to just you know be there and plucking the blackberry and yeah um, yeah, sorry
0: remembering your part of it yes
1: you know like 10 years ago i was on my actual blackberry phone doing that
0: and and, and that doesn't last now you're showing your age exactly
1: well exactly (laughs) because real blackberries were around millions of years before then and hopefully millions of years afterwards
0: yeah and not Not a lot nicer to live exactly (laughs) what is the thank you next so this is you know maybe a chapter of your life and it feels like for anyone who's read your stuff that that might be an obvious thing but obviously you don't need to go there um so a chapter of your life that is closed something that maybe happened that at the time felt like you know the gig
1: you know being repetitive I would say perhaps uh all the shit I went through in my 20s um basically it, it is it is by far the worst experience of my life but it's also weirdly the thing I'm most grateful for in my life so it's that double thing, and, and, and so, I, as I say, I wouldn't want to go back there, and I wouldn't wish it upon people, but for me, where I've ended up, um, I don't mean career-wise, I just mean perspective-wise, I am most grateful um, for that experience, and it was years, it was years of my life, and the thing is about depression and anxiety, and the thing people don't understand, versus, say, a physical condition, is it's 24-7, you know, if you've got a bad back, generally there's a certain position you can get into at some point that unlocks it or something or you can sit a certain way there's none of that with depression when it's in its full severe mode you were just in it so um it it was relentless and everything but I've learned so much through my recovery and through subsequent recoveries that I'm grateful for what I learned maybe not for the experience of depression itself but for the recovery experience for the experience of finding out about myself because when you when you have got your something wrong with your mind um it makes you very keenly aware of things that are bad for you and things that are good for you in a way that you can i was sort of sailing through life in a cloud of sort of um beer and drinking and not really fully in tune with myself and what um this experience of anxiety and depression did, is it actually said, okay, these things are good for you, and these things are not good for you. And there wouldn't be things I'd notice if in, in normal, inverted commas, sane, everyday life, but like, so I, I'd work out that being outside was good for me, or being in nature was good for me, or certain types of food were good, and and or, or like coffee was bad for me, or whatever. I, I, at such a micro level in normal times, but it becomes very big when when you're ill. You you just like, okay, coffee really makes me feel like this, or um, eating this beautiful meal really makes me feel like this so so it, it was kind of like a very unpleasant um learning curve but definitely a learning curve
0: okay so you know yourself on a level that actually maybe most people a lot of people never reach that level of awareness and knowing themselves that deeply and I think to come at, to at 27 feel like I know myself I actually don't really mind what my family or my friends think about my life choices about what I'm doing and you know I know I'm sure that's not entirely true 24 seven but that kind of sense of like a deep knowing of who you are and and what you want to do on this planet at 27 when most people are still drinking in a field or maybe that was just me <laughs>
1: oh you, you at 27 angela you must have been doing. at okay 27
0: i was 27, not 8. in great shape and I, I definitely think, you know, I'm 37 now and I would say I'm now starting to to have a deep kind of awareness about what I need and those things that are not helpful to me and that I love and what lights me up and what doesn't and what I do for other people and for validation and what I do for myself and my soul.
1: Yes. Well, no, it's a good... And it's always a path. It's mm-hmm. not something you arrive at. And, like, and I think, actually, the mistake for me in my recovery was thinking, oh, I'm better, I'm sorted, I've got it sorted. And then the moment things go a bit wrong, they go totally wrong because you think, oh, you, if it's not... If I'm not well, I am ill. If I'm not sane, I am mad. You have this, sort of, I have this binary view of, like, success, failure wellness illness and it's all gray area it's all a scale that we're on and we sort of slide up and down it and mental health isn't this magical thing that is a default setting you have to work at it you have it's like a garden that you have to keep tending to Uh, every morning i i I go for a little run you know i'm not i'm not a massive athlete person but i just go for a little 5k run every morning and do some yoga and i just need to it's not you know that's why i do it i just i kind of need that you know for me not to be on pills and not to have to consistently rely on external things i kind of need to do that so you know i have to be reasonably physically healthy and you know there's certain things i have to do and not do like drinking drinking alcohol on consecutive days is never good for me um things like that so yeah
0: Okay, is there a thanks that got away?
1: My grandma, who I, I owe a lot to my, my, um, my mum's mum, who's not my blood grandmother. She, my, my mum was adopted. My mum ne- still doesn't know who her real parents were. Um, but she was, to all intents and purposes, my nan, um, Flora. And she, yeah... Because she died... Well, she died before I became ill from a breakdown, And while I was still this... I draw a lot on her wisdom and my childhood. In a way that, at the time, I wasn't grateful for. I spent a lot of time with her. She was the person who who is responsible for me now liking nature. And when when I'm out for a walk, I'm remembering terms for things because she used to tell me as a child. But at the time you know, I was Kevin and Parry, I wasn't grateful for anything, and then, you know, it comes back, and you think, ah, life happens in all the wrong order, why can't I have a day in 1990 and just say, you know, thanks for all that, and um, yeah, she died of breast cancer in 1992 or something, so yeah, I miss that, there's also a great English teacher who, um, Mrs. Kurzweil, who I don't think is around anymore, who who got me very involved with um, reading and stuff. So there's all kinds of things that you only know to be thankful for. You don't always know um, what is important when you're young. What, what are the things that are going to become memories and what are the things that are going to become life lessons and things that echo through the general And often it's not the the big things or the things you think it will be it's not the graduation ceremonies or the whatever it is it's little moments that just happen or little things that are said and my nan was full of those things um and yeah she had she was a totally adventurous person and she was a lovely person she had evacuees stay with her in the second world war she was um she, she would get in her old banger of a mini and take my mum uh, and drive down to sort of San Sebastian, Spain, before anyone even went on Amazing. foreign holidays and stuff. And so she, she was, she was just sort free of like adventurous. Free um, spirit. Free spirit and, like, you know, an inspiration for me. Uh, my grandmother on the other side, who's also no longer um, with us, she was uh, inspiring in a different kind of way. And, you know, she escaped the Nazis. Um, while she was at art school in Austria when um, the Nazis invaded Austria. And she escaped and... She had her own stories and experiences as a nurse and all kinds of things. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like they died too young. From You know, I was too young a person. And a lot of those wisdom from grandparents, I, I, you know, I suppose everyone has that, don't they? But, yeah, with me, I was particularly marked because I feel like I so became a different person yeah. at the age 24. Um, but I think, uh, yeah. you
0: you know, and I know that the book you, you reference, obviously it's it's built around parallel universes. So, you know, maybe in a different universe they're alive and yes, you're having dinner indeed. with them right now. <laughs> <laughs> right, nice thought.
1: Indeed, yeah. I, uh, yes. And also we can enter a different universe at any point in time. We can't necessarily yeah. bring people back from the dead, but we, we can... We can we, I feel... Um, I wrote another book called How to Stop yeah. Time, which talks about this a lot, about how how the best way to sort of deal with grief is sometimes to, to, to almost stop mourning someone and actually start being guided by them, to actually think of them more as who they were, rather than yeah. thinking of the loss, to actually, to actually you know, because... Because what they gave you is still there, and you, and you are a kind of product of the people who've gone before. So in, in a kind of quite real sense, they're still there, aren't they? Their advice is still there, their legacy within you is still there. So I think the best way to remember someone is to be inspired by the good aspects of those lives, which you can still do, you know, long after
0: I mean you mentioned regret very briefly at the beginning of that so I'm going to take the opportunity to ask if there is any um because it's obviously a big big theme in the midnight library but is there is there anything that you that you regret
1: well there are little things I wouldn't say you know because as I say like the worst experiences of my life yeah. I'm kind of grateful for now there's kind of you know usual things like when I Up until the age of 13, I I, le- I learnt the piano. I was playing the piano all the time. I used to go every Friday evening to see Mrs Peters and play the piano. And then, being a 13-year-old boy in Newark-on-Trent, Nottinghamshire, uh, it's quite rough state school. It just wasn't the thing you did. It was You didn't go to your, your posh middle-class piano teacher. It wasn't cool. As a boy at that age, it wasn't cool. And I stopped um, doing that and started going to play pool at the arcade and play nice. Street Fighter 2 and I, I, I probably would have been better off um, staying with the piano and it would be nice to go to the parallel world where I'd kept because I was quite good I was like going up through the grades and and then I just stopped so I, I, and I've been learning actually I'm one of those people who've been annoying in lockdown and actually trying to learn a skill and there's a, a brilliant app called uh, okay. Simply Piano where and we've got a little electric piano and it's really good it feels like you're playing a video game but nice. you're learning the piano and um, so I've been doing that but I'd, I'd like to go back to, you know to the life where I'm Elton John would be good
0: <laughs> okay yeah that's a nice dream so there is a definitely Nora there there's again parallels um, the the big thank you Matt
1: well I you know I've said this before but I, I, and it is corny but i would say andrea uh, my partner who we've been together since um yeah we were teenagers we've been together since 19 well her 19th birthday was the day we met and i was 19 and she was turning 19 and the fact that you know it was horrendous for me what i lived through in terms of mental health but it it was only with hindsight I realised how horrible it must have been um, for Andrea and she she didn't have to stay with me she didn't have to put up with what what she put up with and like it was our 20s were kind of ruined and taken over by my Illness and, um, you know, I had gone from being one type of person who wanted to go out all the time, be the life of the party, and, you know, could not stand one single Saturday night in, to being literally the opposite, to being someone who couldn't walk to the corner shop on my own. And to, you know, for years I was agoraphobic, for years I had separation anxiety. I I was a nightmare boyfriend. I wasn't abusive, I wasn't physically abusive, but I was just a hard, hard person to live with because I was so needy. And so, yeah, it was, just, it, was, it, it was horrible for her. And I think the biggest guilt I have in my life is about that period and how it must have been for her. And the biggest gratitude I've got in my life is for that period as well. And it is, it is for her. And, you know, she wasn't uh, medically trained. She had no direct experience of depression. No one in her family had ever been open about mental illness. She didn't, you know, it was all completely new for her. But what she had... That uh, no one else had um, in my life was the ability to just listen to me. I didn't have to wear that disguise. I didn't have to be somebody else or fake a smile or, you know, and I think that love in its purest sense um, allows you to be yourself without any of that bullshit of, like, you know, politeness or, you know... And it's not bullshit, but, you know, that thing we do to keep society and civilization moving and yeah, being a little bit mask. fake and nice to people. Um, I, yes, exactly. I didn't have to do that. I could literally tell her what I was feeling like. And it must have been a massive drain on her because she cared about me and she was hearing all this stuff. And she, she was having to be, like, a filter between me and my parents who we were still trying, you know, because we're living at my parents' house. So she had a lot... A lot on her plate, and then she, then we were in masses of debt, and we had to sort of move out of my mum's house, and she had to organise where we were living. We moved to Leeds and stuff, and get work, and so she had incredible amounts to do. So I'd say, um, yeah, and you know, still for staying with me, and we've been together more than we haven't been together. Most of more than half of our life. So we're we're kind of like an old couple in that sense.
0: And amazing that, yeah, that kind of ability to to contain and to hold and I'm sure it's been reciprocated maybe not not in the extremes but that kind of absolute open and honesty that a lot of people don't ever really th- those depths that you don't reach when you when you don't expose that level of vulnerability in yourself to a partner
1: yeah no and it was so hard I mean I remember like her brother uh, got married during that time during my first few months of being ill and so she she must have felt like the rope in this sort of tug of war where, on the one hand, she was having to battle with me, you know, panicking because I had to be up at six in the morning and I was tired and, and, like, depressed and didn't know how I could walk to the church and do this. And then, on the other hand, having to be there for her brother. I was, um, oh, just, it must have been an absolute hell for her. But, yeah, the fact that she did it and, you know, I, I genuinely... I mean, I like to think I, I'd, I'd still be here without her, but I, I definitely would not want to take that element out of the mix. You know, I, I wouldn't want to see the Thank life you, without that.
0: So. What a woman. The gift, Matt, that you are most grateful for?
1: I got a treadmill. And I know. <laughs>
0: oh, yes. I love these ones. I don't want it to be, you know, deep and meaningful. A treadmill is what I'm
1: talking about. Okay. Treadmill. I've got a, a treadmill in the shed. I've got a shed mill. But the great thing is I've I faced it so it's facing the doors. So I can open the doors and I can have an inside-outside experience on the treadmill. So I get outside air. Door air. Uh, uh, you know, like people, because my dad's such a treadmill snob. He says, oh, it's not probably, you need to be outside in the air. I say, I am outside in the air on my treadmill.
0: Amazing. And so what, do you find a 5K but on the I, treadmill versus a 5K on the road is quite a different ball game?
1: um i like to i like to see how fast i'm going and to be able to measure myself okay. versus myself and stuff and I, I don't just run on the treadmill i like going mm-hmm. on an incline and having a sort of hill walk and listening to a podcast i mean i i, I do like i mean i did my i did a half marathon earlier this year just well before done. lockdown um brighton half marathon with my dad who's in his 70s who yeah. i struggled to keep up with who is just like yeah he's he's he Every time, I I, know, I don't post a picture of me with my dad now because they just say, you know, <laughs> who's your brother? <laughs> which and, he like, loves. have you ever <laughs> pissed him off, just post <laughs> a picture. Loves. To be honest with my mental health, have it, knowing I'm just doing a, a, a 5K in a certain amount of time um, and then I've done it for the day, it's just, I, I kind of need that. And, and this year when we haven't been able to go to gyms and stuff, it's been yeah. very welcome to have... Yeah. a treadmill yeah so sorry yeah, oh, no, that was apology. my very literal it. gift
0: And um, before I let you go it's been absolutely lovely to chat to you um, I want to ask you a qu- and it's very hard really for, you know you me- you mentioned I can't remember whether you said you're the poster boy for depression or what was the
1: <laughs> term you used I'll name drop here because Mr Stephen Fry Stephen Fry he sent me a post, when, when I, the books were first sent out, he, he said, I'll be very, uh, I love the book, but be very careful, uh, there's a risk of becoming like Mr. Depression, which obviously he became for a while, because he did that brilliant documentary, even though Stephen Fry is known for so many bazillion things, when he did that documentary, I think it was 2006, Secret Life of a Manic Depressive or something, and then he did another follow-up one. Um. He became the sort of epicentre of the mental health debate. You know, he became a public figure. And I think that really um, uh, annoyed him and he wanted to move out. And, and so, yeah, anyway, yeah. So, Mr. Depression is something that I don't, I'm not too bothered about because I'm very lucky with my publishers. You know, I, I want to be a writer and writing yeah, the kind of thing I think I'm, I, I, I'm best at. Yeah, you're pretty good. I'm lucky that I have um, publishers who let me... Um, Write what I want, so they don't say, "Oh, we need another yeah. book about depression." We don't we we need reasons to stay alive too, or more reasons to stay alive, or reasons to stay alive. <laughs> mission to Moscow, you know. We don't the need lockdown the special. Sequel. <laughs> <laughs> lockdown special. So you know, straight after that, I I did a book called A Boy Called yeah. Christmas about Father Christmas. So they've let me do mm-hmm. uh, my own stuff. So I don't mind. I don't mind that people see me. A-
0: Figureheads uh, for talks mental about health. health. Well, I have to say, I your, you know, and I'm not unique in this, but your Instagram posts. I know you get a little scorpion on Twitter, which I respect, but like it's a different gig, isn't it? Instagram feels kinder, but also, you know, those kind of very bite size the, the insight that you offer and the kind of um, openness is is um, is fabulous.
1: Oh, thank you. No, yeah. I prefer Instagram to Twitter. I've, I've got to. I've got. I've got a leave yeah. that place. It's not good. But Instagram. Instagram's friendly. I like Instagram. It's a pleasure chatting to you.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Angela.
0: Such such gratitude and thanks to Matt for sharing all of that today his latest book The Midnight Library which we touched on it is brilliant an absolutely gorgeous and thought provoking book it's available in all good bookshops and trust me it's a good one and as ever if this has sparked some ideas about what you are thankful for I'd love to hear from you so please do drop me a line using the hashtag thanks a million trio at Angela Scanlon via Instagram or twitter and we're releasing new episodes every single week so you can subscribe via apple podcasts spotify and google podcast and if you're loving this show please do write us a review even if you couldn't be arsed writing a review just give us a little five stars thank you so much to my production team at rethink audio and to you guys the listeners thanks a million Side note, I have launched a newsletter because, you know, what else have I to be doing? You can go find it via my Instagram and I share things that I've been listening to and reading and watching, uh, some little recipes in there, loads of random shit really, but I think you're going to like it.